0: Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun
1: as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands, the habitat, the hunting, and of course,
2: your favorite bird dogs. Welcome to On the Wing Podcast. Knowing we have a nationwide a listening audience, it is rare for us to dedicate an entire episode to one particular state. Um, but rules are made to be broken, especially when we have as many good things going on as we do in the state of Ohio. I will say that they're terrible bowlers, based on uh, the experience last evening at the all-team meeting at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, where we're recording. We've got uh, 425 Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever employees gathered together in southern Minnesota for the first time since the pandemic started, and we've got a couple of days full of meetings, sharing best practices for what's working to create habitat in one part of the country so it can be replicated and uh, put to um, put to good use in other parts of the country and one of those examples of where good things are happening is maybe a state that you might not expect and that's the state of Ohio and that's where uh, we'd like to put some attention on for this podcast so I've grabbed some of our less than elite bowlers, (laughs) but (laughs) excellent um, habitat uh, creators from Ohio to join me for this episode of On the Wing podcast. And I'll start by saying um, it it was passed along to me. I think, James, you sent the actual um, snippet from the book, if I recall correctly. So there's a book called The Ohio Pheasant Range Revisited. And in 1949, this is... So pay attention to this. This is startling. 1949, Ohio bird hunters harvested 1,042,000 roosters. Wow. Over 1 million roosters in the state of Ohio. And I knew that there was a stat like that. I believe... Um, In the history of pheasant um, kind of biology, there's a, um, a stat where Ohio had the highest population density on record measured of any place in the country. Was in uh, north, I think it was northeastern Ohio, just south of the lake.
1: Northwest. Oh, it's northwest. Okay. Yep. Wood County, Ohio. So
2: you did find that exact stat. Yeah, it was. Oh, uh, it is right here. Three hundred bird. It was estimated at three hundred birds per square mile. There you go. <laughs> Unbelievable. So that speaks to uh, the potential um, because it existed, and that's why we're working so hard in so many different states. But there's a lot going on in the state of Ohio that our members and chapter volunteers and our partners in the state of Ohio should be super energized about. But part of the the goal of this particular episode is to share some of those best practices or innovative partnerships, things that are going on in the state of Ohio. So, oh, let's say you know the state to the north michigan my home state might want to steal something um or if you know uh, other states in in the east um how they can replicate things that are going on in ohio so that's ultimately the purpose of um this team meeting too is to to learn from each other and and share some of the best practices. So, I'm gotten uh, a little long-winded in the opening, but uh, without further ado, we'll go around the horn and introduce the um, the participants for this particular podcast. We got a couple of folks that have been on before, and we got one newbie. <laughs> but we will uh, we'll start with Kent and go around the horn. Kent, you've been, uh, I guess, most recently on the on the water episode, right? For uh, just maybe two months ago, three months ago, but go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience.
3: Sure, my name's Kent Adams. I'm the director of conservation delivery for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever in our Northeast region. Uh, I do not live in Ohio, but Ohio is an important state in the Northeast region and uh, work there quite a bit. Um, I'm a native Pennsylvanian, and uh, that's where I live right now. Um, grew up in the, in the farm country there. Um, went to school and uh got my wildlife degree and uh been working in in private land conservation for a long time now and uh been with pheasants forever and quail forever for almost 10 years. I I just missed getting that decade service <laughs> award uh yesterday um at the, the staff meeting. So I I guess that's next year if I survive.
2: In in the world of 2022 um it doesn't seem like people stay alo- around for 10 years at a job, but we, we kicked off the meeting. The first round of awards were five years, 10 years, 10 years took like a half hour. Yeah. Um, 15 years, 20 years, 25, 30. Um, Howard Vincent has been w- with this organization. I think it's 38 as an employee out of its 40 and two as a volunteer, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, that stickiness speaks to the allegiance yeah. that um that our employees have with this organization.
3: And this is it it hadn't re- hadn't really thought of it before. Uh I watched all those people mm. walking up there and accepting those words. This is the the longest tenure I've had in one specific place. Really? Congrats. Uh, thank you. Why have you stayed? Uh it's hard to answer that question without sounding cliche, but um it's you know, our mission is just what I care about. Mm-hmm. And um you know, the organization, it, we, we did a new employee orientation on the front end of this all-team meeting, and we had to we actually uh, had a group of us up there talking about our culture mm-hmm. and trying to help the folks that are brand new into the organization. And, man, was it a big room. Um, mm-hmm. to, to understand, you know, what we appreciate about the culture of the organization, and, and that speaks to the stickiness. Um, you know, we're just uh, – w- we have impact. Um, you get to see the impact you get to experience it you know we have folks who are the pointy end of the spear out there making habitat every day and and even though I don't get to do that in my seat Mm -hmm. I get to watch people like Cody do it and and his team and um, it's uh, it's what puts my feet on the floor every morning and and walking through my office door Um, and then uh, just the the relationships and the the community we have as an organization here, you know, from the grassroots all the way to the partners to the 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 fellow staff and and teammates you have, you know, we're just we're very um, passionate group and we we support each other, we care about each other, and uh, and we drive each other. You know, we're inspired. This this meeting has charged my batteries. <laughs> we needed this. It is infectious. Yeah,
2: right? and a dangerous word to use during a worldwide pandemic but uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, the culture of the organizations infectious the the drive enthusiasm and uh, you know again cliche perhaps but the passion for the mission of the organizations infectious i also i, I look to james bouncing around here you work with volunteers every day and that's infectious too and uh, as we talk about stickiness um see I told you I'm going to go completely off the rails from our normal like plan of attack here but a- as you talk about Kent talks about being sticky um as an employee I think about the volunteers and the volunteers with logos of pheasants forever and quail forever tattooed on their bodies um I, there's a gentleman in Pennsylvania you might know me as a pheasants forever uh, logo on his tooth Huh. Uh, front tooth. Um, this is no lie. But this this is, when, when I think about sort of the gravity uh, and demand for the jobs that we have, I think about this, and it it's going to start off feeling a little morbid, but it's like, it, it, you just talk about the gravity. I get, at least once a month, somebody, a family member or a funeral home business, contacting me to ask to use our logo, Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever logo, um, on a casket, huh. uh, whether that's embroidered inside or engraved on the wood, because the person who has passed, Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever, was so important to their life, they want it to continue into their next phase whatever your yeah. religious beliefs are. That that to me is a showstopper. Yeah. You know, I and when you think about what we do and how much it means to some people, the fact that they would want the logo of a nonprofit conservation organization with them in death and beyond. It's like whole. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Right, a lot of responsibility. No, as staff. I didn't mean to bring us down, but <laughs> it, it does. It, it it it. There's a lot of responsibility when you feel that it's like, yeah, you know, I am gonna work my tail off because this is this is. And we've said it. We've all said it before. This is a lifestyle, not a career. And you get you come to a a meeting like this. And this, uh, um, we we've I've recorded a number of podcasts, um, over the course of the the meeting here that listeners will catch this theme i mean it's infectious um 425 plus folks which 75 percent of them have a biology degree of some way shape or form and in a lot of places that you'd expect like cody right your state coordinator and a whole bunch of people work for you that have biology degrees and that gets added up real quick but i also think about our government affairs team having biology degrees right um you know, Ron Leathers, who's chief conservation officer, but he, when he was in the grants department, biology degree, right? We have biology degrees littered throughout the organization. Littered's probably the wrong word, but <laughs> permeated. How's that? There you go. That's better. <laughs> um, and, and that's such a testament to how science leads us in, in every way, it creates integrity and trust and um it's something i don't have a biology degree cuz you you guys all need marketing people too <laughs> but we really really need you. But actually
3: cuz biologists are not te- uh, traditionally good marketers we need you more than you know
2: but <laughs> that's one of the great assets for me as a marketing and communications per- person that we are led by science in all the decisions we make if if we Choose, chose a path that wasn't science driven <laughs> not only would we hear from it from the general public we'd hear it from our own employees first you know yeah, so uh, wild sustainable populations um by the creation of you know quality and quantity of wildlife habitat
3: i'll, I'll just goal. add one quick note to that because i know you want to get back on on track <laughs> but, oh uh,
2: i lost that a long
3: time well ago. you know so much of what I do is working with our agency partners and um, if you're not scientifically credible Mm -hmm. you don't get in the door Mm -hmm. with them and they make a huge investment in our organization we couldn't be what we are without them and do the things we do Um, it's you know if we get off track on the science Uh, We're a a completely different organization. Right,
2: right. which is why we go so hard against releasing birds, right? I mean, it's just the science absolutely proves time and time again that releasing birds isn't going to be the answer for wild, sustainable populations. It is creating habitat, right? So that that does get me back on the rails to Cody, the state coordinator for for Ohio, who is uh, creating these programs that is putting Habitat on the Ground in the State of Ohio. We'll get to those programs, but go ahead and introduce yourself. You were also most recently on on the Water-Oriented podcast. And for folks that didn't listen to that one, I'll point them back. The, the purpose of that was we had folks from Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, kind of the eastern Great Lake states talking about how our wildlife habitat mission certainly creates habitat for Birds, bees, butterflies, but it also creates more higher quality water through filtration systems, of buffers, through um, the CRP program, rivers and streams, to all the way to Lake Erie, um, which was once, you know, a giant algae bloom, right? And then all the way out to the ocean through the Chesapeake Bay. So if you haven't listened to the water episode, um, it's a hardcore. Like connecting the dots between habitat and water quality, which um, we all know water is the true commodity of our existence. So give a listen to that. Without f- <laughs> without going on further, Cody, go ahead and introduce yourself.
0: Uh, yeah, thanks, Bob. Um, Cody Grasser, as he said, um am happy to be making my second appearance on the podcast from the water quality episode. I am originally from Missouri, now living in Ohio, been there for 13, 14 years or something, and I'm the state coordinator for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever there. I manage most of our conservation operations team, which means nothing to listeners, but all these wildlife biologists that Mm -hmm. you're talking about, I manage that team, manage our partnerships and initiatives in the state, and I was a farm bill biologist myself for most of my time with Pheasants Forever and been state coordinator for about a year and a half and really enjoying it and still figuring it out. But uh, love what I do, so happy to be on the podcast. Well, thank, thank you for
2: joining. Um, James, I'm, I referenced, this is your first episode, um, so, so go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the to the audience. Yeah, so I'm,
1: uh, <clears throat> I'm James Harris. I'm the regional field rep for Ohio and West Virginia, mostly consumed by Ohio. We're just kind of getting started in West Virginia. Um, I moved to Ohio last year, I think it was August, we finally got a house, which was An absolute nightmare to buy a house in this market. Mm. Uh, When you think you're, when when you're looking at like 10 counties as your option and you can only find three homes. Is that right? Oh yeah, it's hard. Uh, Where did you move from? From Maryland. Okay. From out in the western region of Maryland, so out near, out past Hagerstown. Okay. Uh, Actually come from, I had a fly fishing store for 10 years. Huh. Yeah, came here. I had my bird dogs at the store every day. And uh, that's kind of been most of my a lot of my passion lies in those, in my pointing dogs and, and that world. And I was a volunteer back then and uh, saw an opportunity, interviewed for it. Somehow I got through it and <laughs> ended up moving. Uh, and it's been kind of a crazy year because we moved. Well, when I got the job, then we found out my wife was pregnant, like right away. Huh. We, we had to sell a store, uh, buy, sell a house, buy a house. Huh. And then we just had a baby. He's two months old now. So congratulations. It's been, uh, it's been a heck of a year. <laughs> um
2: boy or girl boy yeah and and bird dog breed poodle pointers poodle pointers okay got two of them so a lot of folks are listening the guy owned a fly shop why would he give up that that's a dream job in and of itself it definitely wasn't for the money but
1: uh (laughs) yeah this is this has been an incredible opportunity uh Mm -hmm. for me you know to really see what i do um and, and what we all work for to see it be put back on the ground and and making a difference uh, for for what it is we care about right for for upland habitats and and keeping this tradition
2: alive into the future when you say um it wasn't for the money at a fly shop you you go from either you (laughs) go from a fly shop to a non-profit so you're giving me a sense of where a fly shop ranks in terms of uh profitability (laughs) yeah it's
1: kind of i have you know i'm kind of that i'm I've always been that way. It's hard for me to do things that I don't really care about. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I end up in those spaces.
2: You know what? God, you got to find stuff that you love. Exactly. Right?
3: you're going to have to be there every day. Yep. The fly shop was just good experience for working for a nonprofit, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) You were (laughs) pre-qualified.
2: So the fly shop was in Maryland? Yeah. What what do you fly fish for in Maryland?
1: Uh, So where the shop was is in the... The Cumberland Valley or the Great Valley, mm. where uh, Route 81 runs north to south, there to Pennsylvania. What was the name of it? Uh, Beaver Creek Fly Show. Okay, so that whole valley's full of limestone spring creeks with, mm. you know, it's all wild brown trout. There's some with rainbows, and then you have the mountains around it with brook trout on the small streams. And then we had a couple big tailwaters out in uh, Garrett County, Maryland, mm. uh, that we actually so our guide service we worked with, uh, heavy water anglers they. They've just finished a lodge out there on the Savage River, um, and they float the North Branch Potomac out there. So oh. there's a lot of trout fishing. Okay. And then we had smallmouth on the Potomac River, uh, around Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, sure. that area.
2: Yeah. So in Ohio, are you fly fishing in Ohio?
1: Well, so I live on a creek, but we didn't know how bad it would flood. Uh-huh. It floods a lot. We huh. found out this year. And uh, so I had, had a whole yard. Well, this, you know, this creek that's 30 foot wide became... You know, half a mile wide the other day with all that rain, and I had tailing carp in the yard, so I was out there fly fishing for them. Uh, Yeah, spooked a couple, but and I catch some bass in the creek, but
2: haven't spent a lot of time figuring out how to fish in Ohio yet. But we'll get there. So I I I grew up on shores of Lake Michigan, and in the day, you know, you see a carp and like why waste your time? And now. Carp fish, fly fishing for carp has exploded. I mean, literally exploded. It's still, it's a head scratcher to me. Yeah, it's kind of like. But they, I mean, they're
1: giant. They must. They pull and yeah. they're hard to catch. You want to fly yeah. like intentionally. It's one of those where you, you'll catch them accidentally. is like bycatch all uh-huh. the time. But you try to intentionally catch one like with a fly or with, you know, artificials or whatever. It's, it's not easy because mm. they spook and they're hard to, you got to get it right in front of their nose. It's. It's like fishing for bonefish or redfish, without the scenery. Right, so I'm staring at corn instead of a you know I'm, I'm not on a
2: flat somewhere. It, it, you know, it, part of me like ten years ago, if somebody would have said, "Oh yeah, fly fishing for carp is a lot like bone fishing," <laughs> yeah, like that's the most preposterous statement I've ever heard. It's a lot like bone fishing until
1: you get it in your hands and you're like. Huh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you can yeah. see that, that. I mean, it would be a he- heck of a fight on a fly. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Especially when you don't got anything else to do. I mean, it's you know, you're from Short Lake, Michigan. What else are you gonna sight fish for? And, right. Well, right. unless there's some smallmouth around,
2: but it's fun. <laughs> so, so you, I, I kind of get the uh, sense that you're a bit of a history buff too. Um, a little bit. I it, like to know what happened here. It, so, you know? so I butchered in the opening um, the, the the note about Ohio having such an incredible density of birds back in the day so uh, let's stop there just for a moment and and talk about that because you have this statistic in front of you right yeah let's
1: that book actually um one of the guys from the division of wildlife had told me that he came across this book and he was reading he's like you got to read this thing talking about the history of pheasants in Ohio and uh so I ended up finding it Probably on I think on Amazon. Okay. And I read it and then I passed it to Cody. Uh the division guy from Division of Wildlife sent me a copy recently, so I've given that to Jason, one of, from our team as well. And so I got the whole the team
2: b- trying to read it. The name of the book <laughs> is The Ohio Pheasant Range Revisited.
1: Yeah, so the author had done the studies in the thirties and forties. Okay. Um I think I think it was part of his uh, graduate program or whatever he was doing. And then he left came back in the 80s and revisited all those sites and so the whole book is like what did what did he notice changed in those over those 40 years over the landscape and bird numbers and uh it's pretty interesting too because if you grab you know not just looking at the shocking numbers of like what it was yeah but also looking at what it was before that boom is what we have it's pretty much what we have now um so it's kind of interesting to see that revert like to go back to What it was before, there was just incredible amounts of birds, and that's kind of where we have those pockets of of birds these days, Hmm. where there was just those pockets of prairie um, rather than, you know, a lot of that was dependent on just how they were farming Hmm. is all that was. It was very conducive to a lot of pheasants.
2: So that statistic, just to go back uh, real quickly, said populations in northwest Ohio, the counties of Wood, Henry, and Hancock, were estimated at 300 birds per square mile and a statewide population somewhere between 4 and 5 million pheasants in 1940. In one 25-acre field that the author studied uh, of Sweet Clover in Wood County in 1939, the authors, let's see, Strode and Lead, L- Letty, right? found 130 nests in a 25-acre field. And and 118 of those nests were successful. And Kent average nest is about 11 eggs, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Um, 11 times 118 is a pretty big number for yeah. 25 acres. <laughs> it's a lot of birds. That speaks to the potential, doesn't it?
3: It does. Um, you know, we have... Uh, we have a lot of good things. You know, this episode's about all the good things we're doing there, we, but we have a lot of work to get done. yeah, you, you have um, a lot of people in the state of Ohio, too. Yep. And and the landscape has, has changed dramatically. Um, you know, we gave remarks to the staff yesterday as the, each region director kind of tried to convey the identity yep. of our region. And mm. I, I hit on that a little bit that, you know, we were the original pheasant factory, mm. you know, but, um, you know, we we're hanging over the cliff a little bit right Mm -hmm. now, both, both with pheasants and quail, you know, Southern Ohio's got quail too. And, um, you know, the potential is there. It's like you said, you know, but it's, it's, uh, we've got to work on building and saving what we have Mm. right now and building out from that. Um, it's, uh, it's, a at a point now, and I don't want to be too negative, but it's at a point now where, you know, we've got to save the species save the the landscape that produces that species and the other species that are associated with that um but absolutely the the potential does exist
2: mm-hmm. that's a good good note because you know somebody just coming into this podcast and listening the first or we had 20 some minutes like jesus they're talking about ohio like it's the next south dakota and like we need to balance that a bit sure. um it's it certainly doesn't have the numbers that South Dakota or North Dakota, Montana, but uh, you get more people involved. You work with partners and agencies. There's opportunity to create a lot of habitat in the state of Ohio. And while the, our focus might be on pheasants and quail, it's going to benefit a whole bunch of other things, which, you know, as I, as we prepped for the team meeting, right, the first time to gather together in three years, I sent out a inquiry to all the regional directors like you. I so said I want to knock down as many podcasts in person. So much easier to do them in person versus over the internet, where you don't know if you're going to have a great connection or not, and it's it's just more dynamic conversations. And the very first idea that came from you is like we got to do in Ohio, and there's just so much going on. Um, speak to that for you. This is this is the top top thing happening in your region right now
3: it is and uh it's you know being a native pennsylvanian growing up uh rooting for joe pa uh <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of tough for me to admit this but uh, i'll go ahead and say it um, the buckeye state is definitely leading the charge in in our region um the probably the easiest way i can answer that question or sum it up mm. is, is to say Probably to an obnoxious level, I talk about Ohio and what we're doing in Ohio and, and how we're delivering our mission and our programs in Ohio to everyone else mm. that I meet with, um, you know, agency partners, even our staff, you know, from other states across my region. You know, I always point back to Ohio as the example of where we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, to get a little more in depth there, you know, we're... We're firing on all cylinders, hmm. you know, and and de- definitely room for improvement. There always is, sure. you know. But um, when I look at the grassroots chapters, I mean, just phenomenal people who are bought into the mission, mm-hmm. who are doing everything that we ask them to do from the local level of being the presence of, of our organization and our brand in their communities, right. Um, All the way to, you know, supporting our state programs, you know, James walks into those meetings and asks them, you know, for money that they raised to support something that might not be exactly going on in their county, you know, um, you know, we're being very strategic with those remaining pockets of of birds and habitat that we're trying to impact. And, you know, it might not be right in their backyard. Sure. They understand that they have they, a broader w- world view for the state. They do. And then all the way to, you know, investing in our national programs, like mm-hmm. the legislative action mm-hmm. fund and so on. So, um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it, they're, they just get the, mm-hmm. the vision, you know, and they see their role in it. Um, you know, it's like we talked about at the beginning, I'm I'm every day humbled by hmm. the commitment and dedication of the volunteer grassroots. And then, you know, our partners are amazing in Ohio. You know, we have amazing partners all over the country. I, I can't really talk negatively about any of them. Sure. But, but you know, the uh, DNR Division of Wildlife, there are um, just uh, really invested and and we're lockstep in what we're trying to hmm. Uh, achieve together. Mm. You know, they see the overlap and what we're, we're doing there, what we're working towards. There's, you know, I could name off 10 individuals who are just great people, Mm. um, you know, who are fun to work with as a partner. You know, it's not like I'm banging on them and and nudging them and pushing sure. them. it's you know it's they just,
2: enthusiastically want to be a part of they, the solution and
3: the, and they see the role of the NGOs they embrace it they don't mm. they don't they, you know they don't look at us as competition mm. or or hey you know you're getting into our space kind of thing you mm. know it um, they they see the collaborative opportunities there and then um, NRCS um, USDA NRCS. You know, our our current NRCS chief, Terry Cosby, spent a lot of years in Ohio as a state mm-hmm. conservationist. Um We miss him, but, you know, the next... He's the, in charge now. He's in charge now, so that's great. And mm-hmm. and we haven't missed a beat there. They've been investing in, in, in our efforts and supporting us for many, many years there. Um, uh, FSA uh, is, you know, very engaged with the wildlife community there, hmm. uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service, you know there's just a lot of partner collaboration going on there. And then, you know, we have a, a bunch of great staff there and I won't go deep into that. I'll let Cody brag on his people. Well,
2: Perfect transition because we can talk more specifics with Cody as we transition to, you know, all the partners and all the great people, but then you gotta be, use some critical thought and some creativity and some problem solving. Um, So let's tackle this. um, And the output of all those great people. Right. And start with um, we'll start with private lands Um, and go ahead and talk about some of the private lands oriented things that are going in Ohio that uh, that you're proud of.
0: Yeah, certainly. So kind of first and foremost, I think for our private lands impact, it comes through technical assistance. So we're hiring biologists, wildlife biologists to work with private landowners, help them do habitat work and sometimes that's uh you know on the ground work that they're doing on their own sometimes they're seeking financial assistance through some program or something and our our team helps them with that and implements all that so just so we break that down a little bit landowner in ohio
2: wants to do a crp planning for instance yeah technical assistance are they going to talk with a, one of our farm bill biologists in a USDA office for what to plant, how to plant it, or because that could be part of it, or are they actually jumping on a tractor and planting seed, like a habitat specialist in some states? Are, are both um, opportunities available in Ohio?
0: Um, no, it's mostly the former. Okay. So our our team is... Uh, writing up technical assistance, conservation plans, what to plant, when to plant it, like as you said. Um, holding their hand along the way as much as needed to help them get that done. Help them find contractors in a lot of cases, which James will probably talk about later. But sometimes those chapters, yep. those local chapters are serving as contractors for hire. And we'll do some of that work and connect the dots a little bit. But uh, we don't have a habitat specialist team in Ohio at this time.
1: Yeah, the uh so a lot of some of our chapters will they'll do a lot of the work to mm-hmm. make sure that this gets done otherwise. I mean, they know in their area it may not get done without them helping to do it. Yeah. Uh which is huge. And then we got chapters that burn. Uh I think we have 3, might be 4 now. Uh it's three chapters that are doing prescribed burns in the state as well, which a lot of our farm bill biologists wouldn't be able to write that into the plans if they didn't do
2: it cuz mm-hmm. there's nobody else to do it there. Well, one thing that You know, we've only talked about one concept so far, but one thing that emerges emerges immediately as I watch um, the interaction with this Ohio team is the collaboration. Like, okay, this is the role that Farm Bill biologists play, James, and this is where chapters come in. And when when a landowner is looking for X, they know exactly how to find Y. Right? Is that pretty um, good um, sort of assessment of the situation?
0: I think so. I like to think of our team as like a one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, like no matter the the program or the type of habitat you're trying to do or project you have, like we can either help you or we'll we'll get you where you need to be. Yeah. and get you the help you right need. On. Yeah.
2: Um, H two Ohio, we talked uh, a fair amount about in the water um, segment of the or water episode. That fits into this private land piece too, doesn't it?
0: It does. H2 Ohio is a state initiative by the governor, Governor Mike DeWine to improve water quality and it's uh all encompassing. It's like uh wastewater treatment plants, sewage, uh lead pipes, um storm drains, you name hmm. it, but agricultural drainage. Um but the part of it that we're most invested in is wetland restorations. Hmm. So Part of that pot of money from H2Ohio from the state went to DNR, and the Division of Wildlife is using their piece to do wetland restoration projects. So in much of the state, they have this H2Ohio grant you can apply for and get uh, get funding to do wetland restoration. In the northwest corner of the state, we have Lake Erie CREP, mm-hmm. so the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program. A lot of your listeners probably know that. Acronym by now, but Lake Erie CREP in its in its own right is a a program that is intended to improve water quality yep. and also delivers a ton of habitat in that part of the state. But uh, Division of Wildlife took some of the H2Ohio money and rather than reinventing the wheel, said, hey, we're just we just want to incentivize practices that are already going to be enrolled in Lake Erie CREP, and so they have a one-time payment for wetland restorations in Lake Erie CREP. Um, and it's created a bunch of brand new habitat in that part of the state, mm-hmm. um, and part of that is uh, a pretty good, strong population of pheasants and wild pheasants in Northwest Ohio in the corner, close to, you know, the Wood County stronghold. There's not mm-hmm. there there are not 300 birds per acre or per square mile anymore, but, um, yeah, I wish that- There's some good, a um, couple of good public land hunting opportunities. But so our team. Helps implement that. Mm-hmm. They promote it. They promote Lake Erie Crep a lot. Uh, promote the H2Ohio program and this incentive that it comes with. The whole, the whole thing just makes it more marketable, right, mm-hmm. for our staff to. Well, to go it ties out into
2: your first point about technical assistance. Um, somebody owns some property, wants to do something good for wildlife, and they go visit. So most of our biologists, farm bill biologists, sit in a USDA service center, right? Is that that's yes. true in Ohio? Um. So a landowner goes in, says, "I want to, I want to improve bird numbers, or I want to create some, uh, restore some prairie." What that technical assistance that biologists can help them do is um, pull up a satellite image, right, and look at um, where that land sits, and then a whole array of potential conservation opportunities. Whether that's H two Ohio might be a program that offers something might be crap might be a a different CRP practice, right? That's, that's the quote unquote, technical assistance component of it is looking at where to get some cost share dollars, what programs might be enrolled and then some guidance. Is that a fair overview of, of what our biologists are doing with private landowners in the state?
0: Yes, it is. Um, And I would say, um, not only the, the satellite imagery, but a lot of times it's a visit on the farm, yep. you know, with uh, with landowners in person. And um, another thing that I I'd highlight is that's – we keep talking about farm Bill biologists. And mm-hmm. in Ohio, we have a couple of other, like, innovative new positions. So we have a precision ag and conservation specialist. I don't know if that's been discussed on the podcast. Yeah, it has, but go PACs, ahead. Yep. Um, and then we have a grasslands and grazing coordinator. Mm-hmm. So they're doing a lot of work with private lands as well, but they're kind of coming at it from an economic standpoint. So working with, you know, working farms. Which is true of the
2: precision ag too, coming at it from an economic standpoint. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Both those positions approaching from an economic standpoint and evaluating Mm -hmm. uh, what conservation practices will deliver habitat on the farm, but also improve profits. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, we can really make hay so to speak because we're getting more habitat better habitat more of it and more profit and potentially you know more sustainability with other aspects of ecosystem services and stuff and Kent highlighted a couple of the partnerships we have in the state that are long-standing that support our farm bill biologist positions these kind of new ones um are coming off on through new agreements and new partnerships so we have grants with the national fish and wildlife foundation have stuff with um Terra LLC, which mm. is part of Land Lakes, they help fund the, the PACS, the Precision Ag Specialist, <laughs> the uh, Heritage so, Cooperative. Let's stop it
2: so, for Precision Ag Specialist. We've talked about it on the podcast before, but if somebody's coming into this particular episode and is like, what's a Precision Ag Specialist?
0: Yeah, the the easiest way to, to phrase it is they are, you know, taking a farmer's input and output data. What what they're spending to, to farm an acre of land and what they're, you know, getting out of it yield-wise, production-wise, and then evaluating if they're making money and how much of it they are. Yeah. You know, the simplest way is you can look at a map and it has red and green all over it and red being bad, green being good. And and so they want to take those red acres and turn them to green somehow. Yeah. And sometimes- so
2: in really generic terms, like – how much gasoline put in the tractor to plant that? How what the seed costs, fertilizer, like all of those dollars that were spent to plant that crop and harvest that crop, and then balance that against how much they made for that crop. And doing exactly. that, the tractors nowadays—if folks are listening—they don't know. It, I mean, it's a microcomputer, supercomputer, really, on every tractor that's spitting out inch by inch, right, of of the property, how much went in and how much is coming out financially. And at the end of the season, our precision and conservation specialists can sit down with a landowner. And as you said, red acres, like, well, you're losing money here. Yeah. You could do something with a conservation program. Like, yeah, we're not going to, your green acres where you're making money, go make money. You know, feed the world. But these red acres, you're losing money. And if you enroll it in Lake Erie Crap, you might get a permanent, uh, you might get a payment, right, to uh, balance out that uh, some of your costs. You'll be doing good things for water quality, and you might create some birds too, which, you know, farmers also love to see, right? They love to see the wildlife as well. So that that's yeah. kind of the precision. Explain it a little bit further in depth, the the uh grazing
0: what was the title of that uh grasslands and grazing coordinator okay so it's kind of the same concept but instead of tracking you know inputs on fertilizer and seed cost mm-hmm. and fuel it's um you know how much weight gain your cattle are making and stuff so um we're trying to incorporate native grasses into grazing and haying systems so native grasses um do a number of things they're more drought tolerant so they kind of uh, get you over the summer slump of introduced you know traditional introduced grasses that don't produce well in the summer um they're more drought tolerant so that's one thing and they can alleviate need for hay so reduce those expenses you can increase weight gains in the summertime so again the sell is hey uh this is going to help your your operation and your profit oh by the way it's better habitat too right um You know, our Jason Jones, our grasslands and grazing coordinator, he knows a lot better than I do, but I know it's like 30% or something is kind of the recommended, Hmm. you know, total acreage of the operation to convert um, for a baseline start to to incorporate native grass. And so that's southern Ohio and southeast Ohio primarily.
1: Which overlaps with our primary quail range in the state too. Mm -hmm. So that's making a huge impact for quail. With that position.
2: Well, you think about it, like, as you move east in the United States, more rainfall, richer soils, and that grass just... You got to mow the lawn, like, three times a week in I, Ohio. I'm right? not looking forward <laughs> right. to that. So what's happening at my house when I that? <laughs>
0: Right? So, yeah. But it's yeah.
2: true. Like, folks that are in uh, western South Dakota, you know, it, it's a different climate. It's arid. And being able to... Um, and, and honestly, there's been rotational grazing has been used... In western states, very effectively for sharptail habitat and, and you know, prairie birds, right? Um, it's being adopted more widespread as you move east, rightfully so, right? Because that grass is growing so much quicker. And to, to your point, James, particularly with quail, right? Quail, you think about how quickly grass grows. And I know one of the major problems in Ohio for quail is fescue, right invasive super thick forming grasses and you think about these little quail trying to move around through it um it right it's it's like the fescue at a very small level is the uh, small size level is the same as what eastern red cedars does in the in the great plains where the they're just so darn thick birds can't move through them and the same thing is true here so whether it's putting fire on the landscape, which is a challenge as you move to more populated... Well, it's a challenge everywhere, but as you move east, more populated places, it's it's challenge to get approval and understanding of that. Enter cattle, right? It's like, well, it, it's sort of not as intuitive, but it's just as effective, I'm assuming, and moving cattle around to whether it's fescue or any other type of grass, to, to hold it down and create better habitat for quail, for pheasants. I, I'm boiling that down. I'm not the biologist, but is that an effective sort of overview,
0: Cody? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an a- accurate explanation, yeah.
2: Um, it, it, one of the th- um, other programs you had on your list to talk about is Equip environmental quality incentives program is that that connects to grazing
3: too doesn't it
0: it does that's actually the primary program that our grasslands and grazing coordinator works with okay. to implement um, so that's um, through there
3: sorry i'm interrupting you cody go uh, for it uh, that i just wanted to make sure earlier you know i list partners and then i always forget one it's a dangerous <laughs> place to be cody had my back on on uh mentioning the the national fish and wildlife foundation but um so, the grazing coordinator, Jason Jones, there in Southern Ohio, is part of the overall Working Lands for Wildlife Bob White effort, which is going on in a big way. We're partnering in a big way with mm-hmm. NRCS on that all across the, the Bob White range. Um, I know you, I think you've talked about that on we have, had, yeah. a dedicated podcast for it. Yeah. So, uh, people have heard that term before. But that position started um, through a NIFWIF grant as well to work on on the working lands effort. Uh, And then we, you know, have since extended that through uh, additional agreements with with NRCS, and uh, it just keeps rolling and Mm. snowballing into good things. But it just occurred to me you should probably do a a podcast just with Jason. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, it's a good reminder for folks that uh, Ohio's in a unique place geographically for the country, too. You know, we, we talked early on about the historic density of pheasants in the northern part of the state. It's also part of the northern bobwhite quail range, right. right? And as you you move up north through Ohio, you know, that's that's quail country.
1: And in our, the Scioto Crip, which you'll probably talk about, mm-hmm. you start to get that overlap of quail into pheasants. Mm-hmm. Basically, where things haven't been managed, you know, maybe to the extent that they should be mm-hmm. for pheasants, now there's coveys of quail on it. Well, so you start to get that overlap where, where trees start to pop up, the pheasants are gone now, and here come the quail. So it's kind of right there. It's
2: within, yeah, within that range. Sciota crap. Let's let is, let's touch on that because um, the state Ohio is unique in that it has two pretty significant CREP programs. We we talked about the yes. Lake Erie CREP, which is that's on the northwest part of the state, right?
0: Where's Sciota? Um, central Ohio. Okay. It starts out, that w- watershed starts out north of Columbus and goes down to the Ohio river. And, um, yeah, the gist of it is soda Crep, um, is an almost perfect overlay with uh, the existing wild pheasant range hmm. minus a pocket in Lake Erie Crep country. And, um, you know, we don't do, we don't do a lot of general CRP. That's something that like listeners out west will recognize quickly like so for general crp that's tends to be the bigger
2: blocks of crp and so if you're in south dakota or montana and you you come across a a section of crp that that exists in the western states but as you move east it's to your point it's much more targeted
0: yeah exactly like about half of the the entire enrollment of crp in the state of ohio is in like Erie crep or Scioto crep okay. combined, and that's all more linear practices, connectivity practices, filter strips along water, water water bodies and stuff and um yeah it supports supports our wild pheasant population there's no doubt about it mm.
2: and <laughs> one of the creps just got it, um expanded with new funding right
0: uh no. Oh okay. We're hoping. <laughs> okay.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm I'm ahead of the game. So it, yeah. what's the what's the hope?
0: Well, both of them are up for renewal. Okay. So the hope is that they get renewed. Uh like I said there uh they make up half half the enrollment in the state. Um our wild pheasant populations are you know heavily dependent on them. It's uh like last I checked it was like over 110,000 acres combined between the two. Okay. So um the hope is they get renewed. There are, you know, state and state partners are working with federal agency to, you know, have those ongoing no- negotiations right now. and it,
3: It's a pretty big mountain to climb right now. And it's, I definitely want to make a plug here to the, specifically to the Ohio listeners. Um, you know, the state match on CREP is significant. Uh, that's a state and federal partnership. And that's one of the differences with CREP versus general CRP. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons we've been very successful with those, uh, programs, especially Sciota, is, uh, it pays really well. Mm. Um, it's also, you know, a lot of sensitive land that we're removing. It's all floodplain stuff. Um, you know, so, uh, it makes sense to, to focus on those sensitive acres. Um, but the match is significant and, you know, some of the sources we had previously, you know, uh, when, when it was originally established may not, be there anymore and uh so there's a lot of a lot of angst right now a lot of discussion a lot of people working behind the scenes to try and figure this out um you know if if you're an ohio citizen make your make your voice known to your to your state reps and legislators that this is a priority um it matters you know it's and cody said you know when you overlay the 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 pheasant range there's no doubt that those you know 70,000 acres in in Scioto Crep are what are supporting our wild birds right now, Mm. uh, with the exception of a few outliers. Um, But it's that serious. Mm. We need it.
2: And and is there a a specific time frame that you need listeners in Ohio to reach out and contact there? Right now. Right now. Okay.
0: (laughs) Would you agree, Cody? I I was going to defer to you for that question.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah. And that, and that, the not only is it important for private land but also for public especially south of columbus where you have a little bit smaller blocks of public land mm. not a little bit there there's blocks all over the place and then you have some larger ones too but without that private land connectivity like it's yeah i don't i don't know what the landscape will look like as far as upland birds down
2: there hmm. so and as we it, a lot of um, the public land access programs around the country are built on top of CRP, built on top of CREP. Um, I think about the James River CREP in South Dakota, which is a similar concept, right? Protect water quality, but they also have an access component um, through voluntary public access habitat incentives program where it pays a landowner an additional uh, payment per acre to open up property for hunting access is that uh, part of the case in ohio as well
0: uh yes so we have a VPA hip program like Mm -hmm. you referenced it's olhap i have to read the notes for the actual (laughs) name ohio landowner hunter access partnership Mm -hmm. and uh, yes exactly that it's a Mm walk-in access program where um the public can have access to private land private landowners can enroll their land um there is some tie to CRP and CREP, um, not directly required, but right. landowners who apply that are enrolled in programs like that, uh, they're, they get priority ranking on their applications and score higher. So it just you know.
2: connects the dots a little bit even a little further between having that land enrolled in Scioto CREP for the water quality benefits, but overlaying it in the pheasant range, then. Hopefully, fingers crossed that landowner wants to get a um, additional payment per acre to enroll it in access, and it, it sorts to illustrate why our listeners that live in Ohio should call their elected official and say, "I care about a water quality. I care about b wildlife habitat." and Oh, yeah, by the way, number C, or letter C (laughs) from the UP, (laughs) letter C, uh, access in some of these places is the trifecta and why CREP is amongst the greatest conservation tools we have at our disposal. You know, when when you think about CRP and its benefits, we, we always go to water quality, soil health, carbon sequestration, but CREP to me is like Mark McGuire's steroid-infused <laughs> conservation reserve program. It is, right? I yeah. mean, it's oh, like, yeah. it's like okay, let's take the best science we have and the most environmental need we have, and it's, it's along our lakes, rivers, and streams. And I mean, you think about, like, for goodness sakes, people, we're talking about Lake Erie. In our lifetimes, Lake Erie was – um, algae blooms that you'd be afraid to swim in. Right. And I, I've mentioned a number of times, Michigan, um, where I grew up, there is a river that, uh, that they lit on fire because it was so polluted. Right. That's just North of Ohio, you know? So pretty sure that happened in Ohio too. (laughs) (laughs) So there, this program in particular crap, um, is really, really at the top of the heap from a conservation perspective. All right, let's, let's move to the public land side of things. And, uh, you know, I know it's a little bit further down on your list, but we got to go to the mallet property first, which is, you know, for folks in uh, as we move west, Minnesota, Iowa, um, Dakotas, we, we've bought a lot of land over the years that it, we've created as public w- wildlife areas. Open to public hunting forever. What they folks might not know is we've done that a, a, a few times in Ohio, um, and we yeah. just knocked down a new one. Tell us about the Mallet property.
0: Yeah, so um, we call it the Mallet Family Tract. It's in Marion County, Ohio, and it's uh, the latest build-a-wildlife area project in Ohio. Four hundred fifteen acres. Uh, majority of it is grassland habitat, upland habitat um directly adjacent to an existing public land habitat complex so collectively there's over 6000 acres there now of wow. of habitat and it's um got wild birds on it hmm. the part of the property was enrolled or is enrolled in Cytocrep. crep so it's connected to that bigger sider crep habitat mm-hmm. complex so um 6000 acres yeah
2: I- I'm, my assumption is that's there's not a lot of six thousand acre tracks on the landscape in Ohio, especially, especially not no. in central
1: Ohio, uh-huh. in in the Corn Belt, right? So it's 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 a gem. heavy ag production there, and
0: yeah. you don't see big
1: tracks like that.
0: Hmm. Well, but not of grassland habitat either. So there are there are some bigger expanses of public land in sure. Ohio. There are state and national forests in the east. So um, yeah, it's one of just a few that is of that size and it's um connected to a grasslands uh conservation opportunity area that's what the you know state agency calls it and that's big plus right south of it is south uh delaware
1: wildlife area yeah and then north of it there's another big wildlife area so mm. it's a it's a pretty important part of the state for grassland habitat right there
0: um, yeah
3: and a and a great transition there James so the thing that excites me about it is Not only did we knock down this acquisition, but it really kicked off a very strategic effort uh, and a conversation with the Division of Wildlife, uh, talking about that collaboration at the beginning, Mm -hmm. to really target a corridor to start connecting those big blocks of public grassland habitat. Um, And so that's something that we are now building out uh, Hmm. with our partners there. Um, and you know, one thing I, I, I said, I, I mentioned, you know, the, maybe the, the bleakness of our situation there with pockets of wild birds remaining yesterday, but what I, I tried to turn that into, so here's, here's the positive news about that. We know where we need to work. Mm -hmm. We know what we need to do and we can be laser focused and particularly on land protection, uh, efforts you know, that gives us a really defined corridor to to implement that Build a Wildlife Area program. And that doesn't mean there aren't, might not be some other spots around the state where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely have our list of criteria to, to figure out, you know, what a good project looks like. But we're looking hard right there. Um, and that, that Mallet Family Tract acquisition was – we always wanted to do that or, or thought about doing it, but this one was the impetus to really get us moving on it and and put a strategy together. And and I give a lot of credit to, to the divisional wildlife partners there for, for coming to the table with that. Hmm. And it's public
2: access for a lot of people that, you know, I think about the East and your talk yesterday during the team meeting about, you know, you live in a challenging place, right? But one of the benefits that you have in the East are people and funding. And I think the pandemic one, if we can call a silver lining, right? People everywhere um, value wild places, wild spaces and wildlife more than they did three years ago, probably even more so in urbanized places like Columbus. Right when you think about in North Dakota, there's roughly seven hundred fifty thousand people. South Dakota, roughly seven hundred fifty thousand people. What's Columbus's population? It's eight hundred (laughs) thousand. Right. So plus you got
1: Cleveland, Toledo, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Yeah. But in between them, there's nothing. So there's a lot of places to work. But and
2: that's great. So you have a ton of people with funding and a ton of partners in a desire for more of what we do. And I think the Mallett family tract and this burgeoning sort of vision for a landscape with some connectivity of public access is uh, super energizing. It's energizing to me and I don't live in Ohio. And I think about, damn, 600 acres in Ohio. Hell yeah, let's go do some more of that.
3: Yeah, The other, the other thing I think, is going to happen there is you know i've noticed this uh in recent years and i think you are connected to this sort of youth movement of of upland bird hunters Mm. that we're seeing out there Mm. james is a great representative of it um you know and people are i think a lot of people had given up that Mm. they they could even do it anymore and in some ways, they had those those lofty expectations mm-hmm. of the old days, the right. good old days. Right. You know,
2: bag a limit by ten
3: a.m. Yeah, <clears throat> and and now it's more of a, a trophy experience. Mm. You know, to get out there and realize that okay, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, get on you know ten cubbies today, but if we get on one, right. we had a great day. Right. Well, and it's the
2: the experience. You know, of your your phrase there, the experience that call. Um, is what people savor you know being in the outdoors with their dog seeing some wild space and wildlife and just um gives you a
1: reason to walk
2: into those places heck say, yeah you wouldn't I mean,
1: otherwise i mean i mean yeah i be can honest. i can walk pretty far but i'm not going to do the 5k everybody's doing this morning only <laughs> only from following my dog so. yeah
2: even, even when you do live in um super birdie places it's not a foregone conclusion you're going to Walk home with a bag limit of birds. Even when you think back on your best days, you know, rarely do the tailgate shots um are—they're not the ones that are in the frame um at that funeral, right? It's—it's yep. it's with the the family and the d- beloved dogs, and and it's those adventure experiences, and that can occur in Ohio as easily as it can occur. Well, maybe not as easily, but that's why we exist, right? Right. Um, To build these places so those adventures can occur in Ohio.
3: And and my point is the more times, the more opportunities we create for people to have that experience, the more believers we're creating, the more people are going to get behind, wait a minute, that is possible Mm -hmm. here. Well, maybe I will go to the Fezzets Forever Banquet and support them. Maybe I will call my representative and tell them Scioto Crep's important to right. me and you know it, you just you're building some momentum there for support again that I think just you know because of how bad it got a lot of people kind of just gave up right. and now they're re-engaging. It,
2: and it links to another item you had on the list Cody and that's habitat share. So as I understand habitat share from other states because this is sort of a, a if I'm correct here. This is an idea that does exist in um, other states where it's to take um, public lands and improve the quality of the habitat on those public lands. So it underscores what we've just been talking about. Like, yeah, we want to create access, but then the access that's there, how do we make it even better? So when you do lace up those boots and release the the bird dog, there's opportunity for some interaction with some birds and habitat share is helping improve the quality of the habitat on those public properties. Right? You probably
1: know those numbers, right. With, from our education outreach team with uh, how many, it's so many bird contacts mm. like per day in the field to keep somebody interested. Right? I think it's, I think it's like three bird contacts over mm. like a day. You can actually keep somebody's attention to make them want to go back mm. and like you know, fall in love with it, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, it makes it really hard to do. Uh, yeah. And that's what we want by, with Habitat Share. We want to really improve what is – we always want to be adding more land, right? And we want to be a part of that where we can add land that's beneficial to our, our upland landscapes and, uh, and, our, and pheasant hunting, quail hunting. And, but we also want to take what we have and make that opportunity – greater for for people right and so cody go ahead and you can talk about habitat share and what it is and it's pretty exciting stuff because like our chapters are fired up about it and uh right rightfully so yeah i'll tell you these guys make my job really really (laughs) easy when i got to go talk to chapters about this stuff because yeah they're
3: on top of it so i'm gonna interject real quick before cody explains habitat share and uh, harken back to a, a comment that our chief conservation officer Ron Leathers made in in his remarks yesterday, which was you know a place to walk isn't necessarily access. Mm. It has to be. It has to have abundant wildlife mm. or some wildlife on it. It has to have you know what you're what you're going after. I'm butchering his remarks. He said <laughs> he said it way better than I did. But the point is you know a part of access. Right is access to the birds or access to what you're hunting, not just a place to go take a walk. Otherwise, it's a county park. That's a hike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like James said, I don't hike. I hunt. (laughs) It's a
1: county park. You can let your dogs off leash, but it's still not not getting us very far, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Bob, your your explanation of it was pretty accurate. It's just the way that we're trying to improve, you know, restore and enhance habitat on public land. Um, similar to what they're doing in other states. What we do in Ohio is in partnership with the Division of Wildlife. We're um, currently revitalizing that agreement and kind of restarting the Habitat Share Program. But uh, what it does is it allows us to help the Division of Wildlife spend more federal money on state, you know, Ohio public lands. And the big thing for us is we can help them spend more money, Mm -hmm. but then we can help them – you know we can have a say in directing that money to priority areas for us, and that is you know public lands where there are wild pheasants and there are wild quail mm-hmm. on or nearby. And we can have a say in the types of projects going on and ensure that upland habitat is being maintained or being restored in some cases. Um, so yeah, that's the big thing is just making sure that mm. like that habitat's there and in and good condition,
1: and it's 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 very needed in Ohio just because of this, the amount of staff that they have is not enough to to be able to actually keep up with it all so sure. that's where we can actually help the division and and our supporters and our chapters are are making a big impact on the landscape with this program
3: so it's it's a three to one match basically it's pittman robertson funding that we're mm. we're helping them capture and if anybody has tried to buy ammunition in the last couple of years mm-hmm. um, Take heart in your difficulty in locating your favorite loads out there. I know I've had my struggles mm-hmm. uh, because it's creating what we call a huge PR bump. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that can be problematic for state wildlife agencies who aren't used to, they have to, capture, they have to match it 25% yeah. to, to be able to capture it. And it's, the amount they are allocated is based on the number of hunting licenses mm-hmm. they sell. Um, states that sell a lot of hunting licenses are getting some big bumps, and they may not have it in their state budgets to have that match available. And then it's, if
2: they don't have the match, they can't get the
3: dollars to put they, it to use they on the can't ground. can't get it, right. Yeah. It goes back into the, the pot. It just,
2: for folk, it, I, I'm assuming I'll, most folks know PR dollars, but it's PR dollars are the excise tax that's paid – um, on every am- piece of ammunition, firearm, um, and then those dollars go from the federal government into the states to create habitat funding.
3: Right. So we, we are helping provide the match mm-hmm. and then we're also helping, uh, direct the projects. Like Cody said, we're, we're hiring and using our procurement processes to, you know, hire the contractors to get it done. And Cody does a lot of that work. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, our grants accounting team and everybody is involved in that. So it's a great service an NGO can provide.
2: For folks that maybe don't know what a regional rep representative does on a daily basis, give us an overview of your job. That uh, I, don't, I don't even know. We yeah, you're spent, still learning, like, something right? different every day. You're not selling fly rods anymore. <laughs> I, uh,
1: you know, I'll be on a meeting with the Ohio team when, you know, some days. I'll be um, during the day. So I meet with these guys to know what's going on. Uh, we have a whole team of of us field reps Mm -hmm. obviously around the country Uh, so you know really it's a it's a fundraising position it's uh, making sure that our chapters are are healthy and uh, you know everything's going well on the chapter level because without them we don't have that Mm -hmm. fundraising mechanism Uh, and then it's also showing our chapters because of our model it it makes us I think the beauty of our model, it makes us come to them and show them why it's important uh, to help fund these programs. Sure. So they really understand what's going on with the money that they
2: raise. So, so folks that have geeked out on episodes of the podcast around biology and science, and um, we haven't talked about the model recently. Um, <clears throat> explain the uniqueness of the chapter model. Yeah, so the chapters
1: retain 100% decision-making on all the funds that they raise. Um, that means I don't just say, hey, I got a project. I'm just going to take that. Mm-hmm. We can't. Um, we have to go talk to them and tell them why it's important mm-hmm. and why we need their help, which makes Cody drive, meet me at a meeting with the chapter. I mean, what other reason mm-hmm. would a state coordinator have to come and, and talk to these guys about what's going on besides that? So I think it's a it's a wonderful model and it really makes our volunteers even more passionate mm-hmm. about what they do. And they help us fund national initiatives like, uh, Ken said earlier Legislative Action Fund are what used to be No Child Left Indoors is, I think we're rebranding mm-hmm. it now The Path to the Uplands because mm-hmm. it encompasses so much more um, yeah these the chapters they fund all these things and then they also take a bunch of money that they raise and do stuff all around their community mm-hmm. um, you know they'll go do a pollinator pro, uh, pollinator outreach project at a at a local high school we got a bunch of that going on and it's pretty cool because Those kids go out and they help plant it. Um, Then they get to see it grow up over the years, and their parents see it. And uh, we even have one chapter doing it with the kids. And then they're going to have a landowner workshop right Mm. after that and do it again. Mm. Um,
3: James, what did Ohio chapters contribute to the uh, Mallet acquisition during a pandemic when they hadn't had a banquet in years? One hundred twenty thousand
1: is what we raised. Uh, Almost every single of almost every one of the 30 chapters in Ohio contributed to that program. Yeah. And we had a chapter put $60,000 in to make that happen. That's awesome. Which is massive. Yeah. And that was not an easy conversation you guys had because they've been waiting for, to do a land acquisition in their own County.
2: And how far away? Three counties. Three counties I think over. It's three counties over. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you've spent the last 20 years right. as a
2: volunteer trying to make things better just Holding in your county. Holding banquets yep. one at a time. Yep. And selling raffle tickets. Oh, yeah. And then... They work, they work cool, hard for all that money. Right on. And like, it, it, we, it's human nature to want to have that land acquisition be right there in your county. Yep. Right? Where you... But yep. to, you know, to, we mentioned their um, statement earlier to have sort of a statewide view. Like, here's an opportunity to create six hundred acres and have it be in a perfect spot overlaying with the sciota crap where wild birds live and it's connectivity to other like see the vision here. And and in
1: a state like Ohio, you know uh, like Kenneth said yesterday with this region's a little different. It's almost like you're fighting to just hang on to these, make these things, make sure these things exist. It's not always about, increasing opportunity it's trying to make sure that they're still there in the future sure um so so you know with that a lot of our chapters we have chapters that don't have wild birds anywhere close to them and they're probably not going to anytime near in the near future right but it doesn't mean they're not important we employ a farm bill biologist there to make sure that we're still trying to work on that landscape Mm -hmm. uh but we need help in another part of the state to make sure that uh we have opportunity to run dogs on wild birds in the future and our, and our, the kids coming up do, and they do, you know, our chapters do so much for youth programs and, and learn to hunts with new people. And, you know, in the end, if those people don't have somewhere to go, you know, what, what are we doing? Right. Right? So
2: it's all connected. Right. Well, just to, to pull on that connection a little bit further, you talk about the legislative action fund and, Mm -hmm. and listeners are like, this is inside baseball. Why are you guys talking about fundraising with chapters? But let me, allow me just two minutes to connect the dots. So, because of our model, where chapters raise dollars locally, so Wood Lucas Chapter of Ohio, they raises thirty, they raise thirty thousand dollars at a banquet. We go to them and ask them to donate to the Legislative Action Fund to help us go to Washington D.C. and fight for. Conservation Reserve Program, improving ap- acres in the Farm Bill, or funding for crap, right? And then when that gets passed at a DC level, then there's funding that goes to states. And here's a because per- it's so easy to just think CRP is South Dakota or Colorado mm-hmm. or Montana, but if you get funding for CRP at the federal level. And then it allows a Sciota Crep or a Lake Erie Crep to exist. And then you start to get acres enrolled to improve water quality in states like Ohio and states like Pennsylvania and states like Michigan. And then again, you build on top of that with some connectivity through a land acquisition. And then you add a layer of VPA HIP, voluntary public access. It's one of my worst. Um, acronym voluntary public (laughs) access habitat incentives program but incredibly powerful because it's another piece of the farm bill that we lobby for right work Mm -hmm. for that adds another layer to a, a landowner getting paid to create access on that acre and then it's open to the the people that supported that banquet so it takes a little while to get to that end of the circle but it you get there
1: our chapters also fund the money that we need to put our positions on the ground too right to make sure that those programs are are implemented right so it's it's full circle
2: (laughs) um just some statistics for folks that because i think this will surprise people um number of chapters in the state of Ohio, 27 pheasants forever chapters, three quail forever chapters, 30 chapters. Two or and two dual chapters as well. Two dual chapters. Um, so over 30 chapters in the state of Ohio, 4,500-plus uh, pheasants forever members, about 400 quail forever members, close to 5,000 members in the state of Ohio.
1: And that quail part is really starting to grow now. We're just getting there. So that's starting.
2: And... Uh, Ohio's Mercer County chapter was recognized as? National uh, Education and Outreach Chapter of the
1: Year for Pheasants Forever. I just absolutely just an amazing chapter. Um, yeah, they do everything and anything you could ever possibly think of for education and outreach. Uh, you know, new hunter stuff. They do women on the wing. They're, they do habitat work around on some public stuff in their county mm. uh, around the lake they're just an absolutely incredible chapter and they believe in everything we do, uh, to a super high level. And yeah, I couldn't be happier to, to have a chapter like that with me. And all my chapters are great. Mm. I mean, in all honesty, they're, they're just full of amazing people, um, that are incredibly passionate and, and care, you know, just they, they care so much about this stuff. Um, yeah, that chapter though they were they've been well deserving of that award for a very long time, and it was cool to see that come out of Ohio.
2: As a as I look at the clock, I know we got to get back to the all team meeting. <laughs> yep. So I'll I'll transition one final time. Uh, we'll go around the horn for closing thoughts. And, and since Kent, I know what your closing thoughts are. <laughs> we'll start with you and go around the horn for closing thoughts for this episode.
3: Awesome, thank you. Yeah, I you know he started by asking you know why I wanted to do this why mm. this was at the top of my list uh for podcast topics and you know I, I gave you the truth but but also an underlying reason was I want to recognize this awesome team mm. that we have uh, of staff in Ohio I mean they're just they're charging hard they're getting it done they they um accept every challenge we throw at them and uh you know we're a nonprofit. we run lean we run hard we uh we try to play hard we bowled last night <laughs> not, not well not well <laughs> um but uh you know it you can't recognize the effort enough and um and we part of our all team meeting is you know we do our annual award ceremonies and and hand out awards to to staff members who have you know gone above and beyond and and really you know Hashtag set, crushing it. Crushing it. There you go. They've they really set themselves apart. And, you know, it's like Howard said yesterday, uh, it, you know, it's hard to pick one, mm-hmm. you know, in each of these categories. I mean, because everybody's, everybody's <laughs> doing a, a phenomenal job out there. Uh, but we're sitting here with two award winners, yeah. uh, James and Cody, both received Executive Excellence Awards uh, yesterday for, for their efforts during the last year. Um, and what a year it was um, for, for a number of reasons. But I just wanted to say, you know, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of their teams in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to, to have them on my team in the region, and uh, I'm excited to see what else we're going to do yeah. coming up.
2: Yeah, congratulations to both of you guys. In, in Thank you. Probably, We probably need more awards. Uh, In the organization, because there's a lot of really high performers, but in an organization that maybe handed out 10 awards um, during the course of this meeting, two of them are going home to the state of Ohio because hashtag you guys are crushing it right as illustrated hopefully uh well during the course of this podcast um our our members and volunteers and in, in the state and, and there's a lot of them 30 plus chapters and five members and that's um uh, that's a lot of members relative to a lot of other states and it's um it's not because you're overrun with bird numbers in the state of ohio but we're working hard to try to change that, um, and creating, you guys are again leading that through innovative programs and in a collaboration that's really well illustrated between what, uh, what's happening at the state level with, with partners and what's happening at the chapter level with volunteers. So thanks for, uh, for your hard work. Uh, I'll throw it to each of you. Um, we'll start with Cody your closing thoughts for the episode.
0: Um, I'll I'll start by saying thanks for the the shout out about the award, um, and just say that I can I can name, you know, an endless amount of other people that I think are worthy of it. We've got a, a team full of um, executive excellence mm. all over in the, the organization. But um, my closing comment to the listeners would be um, just kind of referencing back we talked about. Some, you know, kind of old programs that we're doing innovative things with, Ooh. marketing differently, new types of positions that are new and outside the box, new partnerships, new funding opportunities. We didn't get into it, but new fundraising strategies, new donor, you know, Ooh. strategies and all this stuff. Um, those ideas don't come from James and I and Kent. Like, we, you know, we can only do so much. So, listeners who have ideas of how to do things differently... Uh, come to us or have ideas about how they want to do things differently with their chapter. They're probably already talking to James. Um, if you're not in Ohio and you heard ideas here that you think mm-hmm. you want to talk to your yeah. state people about, go do that. Um, there's a good chance they may be doing it already. And if they're not, they're I'm sure open to the idea. Or if you think of something that was not going on in Ohio, that's going on in your state, um, come talk to us. So uh, that's all I want to share um if folks want to
2: reach out to you ask questions about programs or uh, um just get in touch with you how do you how do, what's your email cody
0: yes just uh first initial and last name c grasser at pheasants org. um that's yep. kind of the same handle for everybody in the organization and you can go to our find a biologist site to yep. contact anybody in ohio yeah so
2: c grasser at pheasants org, yep. k adams at pheasants org, and j harris
1: uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I just you know our our team in Ohio and nationally, like I said, they they make this easy because I'm just I'm basically like a hype man running around the state <laughs> saying, man, look at what Cody's doing. Let's let's fund this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm and I'm serious about it. I'm you know I I'm not from there, but I'm like, man, I want to have places that if mm-hmm. I'm if I'm gonna be here for a while, I want to be able to take my son and go hunt wild birds, mm-hmm. um, and I want to keep my dogs occupied because I only keep them. Or, you know, I wouldn't keep those kind of dogs around if I didn't have birds to run them on because they're not—they're not always the best pets. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of drive you nuts sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I love them, but you know, they got to give me a reason to have pointing dogs, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So, in you know, as far as Ohio goes, uh, we're looking—we're trying to start expanding more into the eastern part of the state. Mm. If there's any listeners that that are interested in getting a chapter started. I'd love to hear from you. Um,
2: Throw some towns out that you want to start a chapter.
1: uh, Columbiana County is one that we're looking at. Uh, Carroll County is one. Um, I'm open to anything, really, over Mm -hmm. there. Uh, There's a lot of opportunity, especially for quail over there, Um, but also just more volunteers that care about what we're doing in Ohio.
2: And there's an opportunity in some of the bigger urban areas for even more chapter yeah. presence, oh, right yeah. like Cleveland, Cincinnati.
1: Yeah. We don't have anything in Cleveland or Cincinnati yet. Hmm. We're North of Cincinnati a little bit, but, uh, yeah, if you got anything down there too, Akron. I, you know, I'd love to talk to you. And, um, it's not always easy for me because this whole year has been spent trying to get know the get to know the chapters that exist, um, help them make sure everything's, you know, going well in the state. And, uh, but now like let's let's keep expanding and growing, and uh, also, if you live in other parts of the state that have chapters, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from you too, because we always need new people um, a lot of times these chapters just the they end up the same person gets stuck as president for way longer than they should have to, um and we're always looking for new volunteers, and we got chapters doing pint nights and all sorts of fun things, um going out and shooting clays for a meeting instead mm-hmm. of sitting in the sportsman's club. Sure. Um, trying to change it up and bring in new people.
2: and uh, Maybe tie in some flies? Sure, if you want to. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> bring your pheasant feathers, your <laughs> exactly quail feathers. That. Have a yep. fly tying yep. chapter meeting. Yep. Cast and blast, baby.
1: <laughs> and if you uh, – Cody and I are putting together, we're doing a shotgun showcase in mm, June nice. uh, at Blackwing Shooting Center. We have tickets online. Um, we, chapters can come. Donors can come. We're going to, we're trying to get together a really nice setup uh, that just tells the story of what we're doing. True. I think we're try. That's what we're really trying to communicate here is, is telling that story of what's going on here in Ohio and across the country really, but especially in Ohio, because we haven't really done that very well in the past. Right. Um, and just, because you should be fired up if you live there. And uh, you should want to be a part of this because it's pretty incredible what's going on.
2: The Shotgun Showcase, is that on uh, the events? What it is. Yep. Pheasantsforeverevents.org. You can find tickets and attend that event. Yep.
1: yep. Cool. And, uh, yep, yeah, my email is jharris at Pheasants Forever. Um, I think my phone number's out there too. All um, right, Cincinnati,
2: Cleveland. <laughs> Let's go. We need chapters. Yeah. Yep. Need chapters, chapters, new volunteers.
1: I'd love to talk to you.
2: So. Right on. Right on. Fellas, thank you very much. Appreciate you spending time talking about the Buckeye State. <laughs> Gosh, that's hard for a Michigander to say. <laughs> I, I swallowed hard when you said it. <laughs> but you guys are—you're all doing awesome things, and uh, it's been a pleasure learning a little bit more about them. Hopefully, uh, we've got tons of listeners in Ohio that are jacked up, energized, and uh, we'll reach out to Jay Harris at PheasantsForever.org. Get involved with a chapter, start a chapter, or see grasser at pheasantsforever.org if you're interested in partnering with us from, um, whether it's an agency, a a company, um, or if you're in another state and you want to learn about one of the programs we talked about. And if you want
1: to know where to run your dogs and find wild birds in the state of Ohio... Join our chapters because we're talking a lot about it all the time. It's the best way to learn. Well, there you go. You help further our mission, you're going to learn a lot. There's the entrance.
2: (laughs) All right, folks. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of On the Wing podcast. For the Ohio team of Kent Adams, Cody Grasser, and James Harris, I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you, always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening, folks.